Good evening, everybody. Welcome into the Villanova Basketball Report. It's live here on Bob Long Sports every week. Bob Long, and alongside me is Kevin Long. We'll bring you now into our broadcast studio here in Blue Bell. Kevin, to my left, the Villanova Wildcats in a three-horse race. Nay, we say a cat, Wildcat, Bird, Blue Jay, and Pirate, Pirate. Race for the Big East Championship. Seton Hall with a one-game lead over Villanova and over Creighton. A Creighton team that has come from, certainly not the depth, but from the middle of the Big East to really just soar forward to the top at this point. And uh, a loss at the Wells Fargo Center kind of uh, catapulted that run for this Blue Jay team that will be very difficult down the stretch. Creighton takes on Seton Hall. Seton Hall also hosts Villanova in the last two weeks of the season, so it'll be all determined as these two top teams, along with Seton Hall, who is just ahead of both Creighton and Villanova, they'll play each other uh, for a chance to be Big East regular season champion. And in a league, Kevin, this year where top to bottom it was fantastic in the non-conference, it's been the real cream rising to the top here in conference play. All three teams certainly contenders to make deep runs in the NCAA tournament this year, and it's all you can ask for at the top of a major conference like this. Yeah, you're starting to see a little bit of separation now. Like you said, coming into conference play, everyone was sort of at that same point. Even a team like DePaul, like we've seen struggle in the Big East, came into it with a 12-1 and record. Uh, Creighton was playing pretty well, but I don't think that we necessarily saw this type of a season out of them. Uh, catapulting themselves all the way up into the top 10. They certainly have been outstanding over this past month. I know we talked earlier on the show about that early January game uh, in Omaha, and we felt fortunate to come out of that game with a win, a game that we felt that we should have won. But now with every going week, that win looks better and better for these Villanova Wildcats. So, yeah, this is getting to be a tight race here down the stretch. Uh, the stretch run is not easy here for Villanova. Even St. John's is a team that you cannot take for granted. And, uh, you know, certainly another test in Seton Hall will determine whether or not uh, they will be able to claim the top spot in the Big East tournament and the regular season title. But there are so many more teams that will compete in the Big East tournament once we get there. You could see a team like St. John's just clicking and taking off. We've seen it in years past. Uh, certainly Marquette has been playing well as well. So this Big East tournament is going to be wide open and uh, excited to get there in a few weeks. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about this St. John's game, an undermanned St. John's team. So we'll, we'll talk about that. That's the reason I might disagree slightly with in terms of a team like St. John's coming out and surprising Villanova tonight or make that tomorrow night and or the Big East tournament. But we'll get to a lot of that. Let's just bring it home on this top three teams point in the Big East. To me, what's leading the day for each of these teams is kind of the unsung side of the game of basketball, and that's defense. Villanova's defense, phenomenal against Xavier this past weekend. It's gotten better as the year has gone on, and now I think certainly a strength of this team. The offense building up as well. I think this offense is playing better. The Xavier stats may not necessarily show you that. Colin Gillespie 0 for 6 from beyond the arc. The three-point shot was not falling, 7 for 29. But that's coming on off one heck of a game shooting from distance against DePaul earlier in the week. I think you take it as a whole. It's a team that's finding ways to win. And I do think is a little bit more consistent and a little bit better offensively, especially early in games, than it was early in Big East play. And so I think that's the difference. You know, I was very down on this team. Not down in that they can't be successful but down in that, wow, they were winning games that they were, let's call it what it was, lucky to win. And now what I'm seeing is a team that is playing more complete basketball, has more ownership control of the game, if you will, and, uh, and is controlling things more from start to finish. You look at that Xavier game, they were a decent cushion ahead for almost the entirety of the second half, put that one away at the end. That's what you want to see from a championship-level team. Yeah, and that's what you want to see them being able to close out a game when they didn't necessarily have their best game. I mean, shooting 25% from beyond the arc is certainly not the way that this Villanova team has gotten to where they are at this point. But I think back in December, if you give that same Villanova team a game against Xavier, they play like that. I don't think their defense plays up to the level that it played 
this past weekend, and that really propelled them to the win. And then on the flip side, on the the DePaul game earlier in the week, they probably had their best offensive outburst of the year. Granted, it was against DePaul, but um, shooting at a very high level, playing defense at a high level. Yes, DePaul finished with 71 points. I think a lot of that is a result of Villanova getting ahead early, uh, pumping the brakes a little bit, giving some guys some time. It was great to get Cole Swider in there and Demir Cosby Roundtree in there because Jay Wright has seen this story before. You have a great team, a great starting five, but without those guys behind uh, to support in a bench role, you really struggle when you get down the stretch in the tournament play. You get one guy in foul trouble, and all of a sudden you don't know where to turn to. So Jay uh, wisely is getting some of those bench guys more time more getting more accustomed to playing defense with these guys. You need Cole Swider. You need Demir Cosme Roundtree out there on the floor uh, because they are going to be really, really important guys come March and hopefully April. Well, it's a good thing that Jay was able to get those guys in against DePaul because he sure as heck did not get them in against Xavier. Only 29 total minutes played by the bench players against Xavier. Brandon Slater with three minutes. Cole Swider, Demir Cosby Roundtree combined. Uh, for 26. And so, you know, you're looking at a team that isn't going deep in the close games or in the games that matter. You're seeing Justin Moore take a truly starting role. And Jeremiah Robinson Earl, the lowest amount of minutes played by any starter in that Villanova Xavier game this past weekend, he played 30 minutes. Bear in mind, he also fouled out. So that impacted the minutes that he played. Beyond that, the Started with the least amount of minutes, tied 34 minutes apiece, and then 37 and 38. So, Jay, shortening the bench, you see it a lot down the stretch, but this in many ways is a, we'll call it a seven. We can, I guess, call it an eight-man rotation if you're talking Brandon Slater, but you're not seeing much of Slater. Certainly Brian Antoine has not seen the floor in some time, and you're really being able to facilitate and manifest what this rotation will look like going into March and that is the five starters. Moore, uh, Gillespie, Robinson Earl, Samuels, and Sadiq Bay. Bay had a tremendous game against Xavier. But that's your five. And then just backfilling with Cole Swider, Brandon Slater, and Cosby Roundtree with 11 minutes. One of the biggest uh, minutes garnering that he's gotten in any meaningful game in over a year. So it's uh, that's really interesting for Villanova to consider, for fans to see, and important that he got those guys in the DePaul game because it doesn't appear like he has that same trust in close games. Yeah, and that's really why you're seeing the defensive play pick up as much as it has over the past couple of weeks here. Uh, so Jay really starting to find his five, but you, you hope that that's not a recipe for disaster in the coming weeks when he knows he's going to have to go to his bench. And, and who's that next guy going to be? Is it going to be a guy like Cole Swider who has shown the ability to make shots from three but has been susceptible on the defensive end? Is it going to be Demir Cosby Roundtree who is a big presence down low but maybe has some defensive slip-ups at times? And Or is it going to be a guy like Brandon Slater, very unproven, not sure you know what exactly he's going to bring to the table on either end of the court. So you can see how it goes downhill very quickly. And after after eight, there's there's really nobody there. Brian Antoine, Antoine I guess. Is not, he's not playing. Uh, you know, Chris Archidiacono, he's, he's not playing. So uh, it's going to get very tight. It reminds me a lot of the team last year where they had their, their starting guys and, and really had no one else to go to. So the depth is certainly a large uh, reason for concern, this team down the stretch. The other thing you see is a guy in the small forward position, Jermaine Samuels, who was a little bit nicked up a few weeks ago, came back, and now is playing great basketball. He appears to be closer to 100%. He's getting better shots inside. He actually looks more comfortable out there for me now than he did even before he got nicked up. He's really turned things around from a Villanova basketball player perspective. Now, Jay has always had a lot more faith in him than I have. It's good. He's the coach. He should. And knows basketball better than, than we certainly will. However, what I see is a guy who is more willing to put the ball on the floor, but he, it's because he's doing so 
in more intelligent moments and in positions where he's more likely to be successful. And we're going to talk about that in our V's and O's segment. Sorry, Jermaine, you, you just... You are a recipe for V's and O's. I don't know what it is, but something about your game is just destined for the whiteboard. And uh, he's been the subject many times, Kevin, so we'll do that again on the whiteboard here tonight. It's going to be about how Jermaine is getting better shots for himself and allowing himself to be more efficient and also highlighting his strengths. Yeah, he's the star of the show here for our V's and O's. But like you said, a guy that is getting comfortable with putting the ball on the floor is able to make things happen when, uh, you know, down in the half court offense, he has certainly been able to pick up his ability to shoot, drive to the basket. You can see that he's an athletic guy. And the thing that we harp on a lot with him is the basketball IQ. And you can tell that he's one of those guys that he's getting adjusted to the college game, but has, hasn't really gotten to that moment where the game has fully slowed down for him and he can see the court, understand what's going on. And I think back to a specific instant, I believe it was the Xavier game uh, when they were pressing down late in the game and, uh, and Jermaine had the ball and just really did not know what to do with it. He, he couldn't just kind of back into the guy, slowly dribble up the court. He just kind of stood there for a little while, six seconds ticked off the clock, and then he tries to push the ball up the floor and gets the ball taken away from him. So he still just has not proven to have that IQ to be able to, to command his game and command the court, be a ball handler on this team, uh, which has really been a shame because every other piece of his game has come along. He's He seems like he's a great kid. I know Jay Wright always raves about him. He's a hard worker. He wants to be a guy for this team and really has developed himself into that role. I think he's he's legitimately our, our fifth guy at this point, um, and it really has been quite a transformation for him over the past couple of years. Would love to see him maybe take that next step in his game and really, really help out this team. I, I think so, and I think he's a guy that you could see next year as a second team all big east preseason type of guy depending upon who comes back then again you're looking at colin gillespie and and sadiq bay and most likely jeremiah robinson earl and i guess justin moore potentially all being above him so maybe not uh it's just you look at this team that's the number 12 team in the country and Absent any departure from, and I think it would be Sadiq Bey, the only guy at this point. Certainly Jeremiah Robinson Earl, I think, is a candidate to leave early at some point. I just don't see that happening this year. Then, wow, I mean, this is a really good basketball team coming back. Yeah, absolutely. A, a very young group of guys. You know, just last year obviously lost big guys in Phil Booth and Eric Paschal, but, you know, not, not a large exodus by any means. So this team if you will has been widely together for you know two three years now uh it will be interesting to see how they do next year when they've had a full two years as as a starting five together hopefully Sadiq comes back not sure how that's going to work out you hear rumblings maybe he has worked himself into a, a first round pick and that would certainly be a recipe for him to leave sure which, Great for him. We, you know, certainly love to see that as Villanova basketball fans. But if he is back, if you get this starting five back, you get uh, depth in Brian Antoine. Hopefully, being more prepared there next you year, you got uh, some uh, recruits coming in next year, and all of a sudden you got the depth and to go behind. And what am I missing? Eric Dixon coming off his his redshirt year. That's a guy right that has lost a lot of weight, putting on more pounds, getting bigger and stronger. No doubt about it, he has the tools to be a very successful player. He just needed to mold that body. Mm -hmm. And Shackleton has done that and working on it, work in progress. But give him a full year in that college weight room, I think he's a contributor next year as well mm -hmm. off the bench. Absolutely. You give Cole Swider another offseason to work on his yep. defense, and, and all of a sudden you're now you're 9-10 deep. And, and that's really what this team is looking for right now so obviously we want to stay on this it's it's almost march where this team is ranked 12th in the country they have a chance to win the big east regular season title we're very excited for this upcoming year but uh yeah it gets me excited talking about next year and what the potential could well hold. and that's the beauty of college athletics though right it, it's about being a program it's about putting yourself in a position consistently year after year to be successful Villanova is that. We talk about the Penn State football program in the fall portion of our broadcast schedule. 
they have put themselves in that position. You can have discussions about can they win the big one. Well, Penn State, the question's still there. They're kind of where Villanova was a few years ago when they were getting bounced early but felt they were right in the mix. Well, Villanova comes and wins two national championships. Now nobody's asking if they can win the big one. And so now it's just this is a program, the John Rothstein, Villanova's a Fortune 500 company. It's kind of a joke at this point, kind of hackneyed. But it's it's somewhat of a reality that the culture trumps all. And, uh, and Jay has done a great job of bringing in the players that allow his program to be successful and allow fans to think, yes, they have a chance to surprise some people and win a national championship this year. Even as the number 12 team in the country, I think it would be a little bit of a surprise. But they could do it. But they're also thinking about, wow, what's the – two-year window, four-year window for Villanova basketball, and things look good. And that the those championship years, uh, they changed the mindset for a fan, I know for sure. Uh, I'm sure that this has some impact on the players in the program as well, but after you know 2016 and 2018, you start to think, okay, last year you got Eric Paschal and Phil Booth and we're a six seed and hey, maybe these guys have a shot. You know, maybe you go to Purdue and win that game. Obviously it doesn't work out, but Mm -hmm. you know, you win that game, you're in the sweet 16. Okay. All of a sudden now you win two more and you're in the final four and you start to think that way as opposed to in the previous years. If you think about, you know, going back to 2008 and you're thinking about the 20, the 2006 team and how good they were and, and they didn't make it to the final four. This team is nowhere near as good as that. We have no shot of getting there. So the mindset starts to change that now we have this team that maybe is not as good as some of the Villanova teams of the past have been, but you always feel like now Villanova has a chance. Villanova has the pedigree of being there, being in the moment. They know how to handle themselves, and you feel like they always have a chance to make that Final Four run as long as they're somewhere in that mix. And we talk about this a lot over the course of the year as well, but this year especially, there is nobody that jumps out at me. I mean, Villanova beat the number one team in the country, Kansas, at the time. Kansas has worked their way back up to number one. They have three losses. Yes, they've gotten a little bit better offensively, gotten a little bit healthier, but uh, they got 62 of the 64 votes, I believe, in the AP poll. And I get why they beat Baylor. But really, I mean, is that team so wildly impressive that nobody's going to come and beat Kansas? No, I, I don't see it that way. And so beyond that, right, Baylor, I mean, Baylor's Baylor. They've had an amazing year, but that's not a traditional power. Then it's Gonzaga. You got Dayton. You got San Diego State. All brilliantly talented teams, but in mid-major conferences. And now you're into the Dukes of the world that get beat by 22 against NC State. And then there's Louisville, who's been up and down. And there are other teams in there that I'm not, not remembering at the moment. But that top 10 right there, every team has a flaw. And so, sure, can Villanova win a national championship? Absolutely. Could they also get off to a slow start and get a scare against the 13 seed? Yeah, they could do that, too. They're probably slotted towards three right now, but big games coming up down the stretch, they could find themselves in a four seed if things went poorly, up to a two seed maybe, maybe tail end of the two seeds if things went well, and that's about where they're slotting. So, yeah, they could make the run. Yeah, they could struggle early on, and that's the beauty, curse, great annoying part of college basketball this year you the viewer decides it would have been interesting to see if Gonzaga had not lost this week and maybe if San Diego State also had not lost this week and see where the rankings would have panned out I'm sure Gonzaga would have gotten at least a few votes you know would Gonzaga be two would they be three you know obviously I would well not obvious but would Gonzaga go to one they you know would they go stay below Baylor those are all would have been very interesting, but obviously the losses by Gonzaga and San Diego State are, are much worse than Kansas barely knocking out Baylor, and then you feel like you got to give the nod to Kansas over them, who, by the way, lost to Villanova in December. So Right, that's what I'm saying. It's the wild, wild west this year. Anybody has a chance. You look at Creighton, we just talked about them. They were unranked for the majority of the year well into Big East play and have come on hot as of late. But, you know, who who are they? Are they – is this the real Creighton over the past month? Are they the team 
uh, from non-conference play or early Big East play, you really just don't know. And it'll, it'll certainly be interesting to see how this all plays out. But uh, as we've said many times on the show, it seems like the highest level of parity in college basketball this year should make for a wild tournament. You got a team like San Diego State, never would have thought you know, five, ten years ago that a team from a mid-major conference like that would be grabbing a one seed. And, uh, you know, look, here they are sitting at 26-1, and one, uh, looking impressive. And, you know, who knows? It could easily see them going down to a 16 seed. So you, you just never know in this day and age, and it'll be a wild march. You know, I really like Dayton as well. They can score the mm-hmm. ball. I think they're a team that can beat anybody, and it's the right year for a team like them. My national champion, and I've been on the record for this for quite some time, and I'm going to continue to ride with the Pirates of Seton Hall. I think that's a team that can win the national championship. Combination of size inside, a great score on the outside. Miles Kale getting better and better. Mamu Kelashvili, he's back, playing well. There's some depth now from the time that he was out. I really, really like that team. They're a team that have provided some scares in the past when Miles Powell was a very young freshman and sophomore in the NCAA tournament. Now they are the big boys, and I think as a three-seed, something like that, two-seed potentially, they're very dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. A guy, Miles Powell, who did not start the year at his healthiest and has able to work himself back, and you figure that he is going to be hitting his stride as they are getting right into the home stretch going into the Big East tournament and then the NCAA tournament. It's just wild to think about Seton Hall being in that position I mean think about all the days as you know we were young kids going to the pavilion watching Seton Hall play I mean they were the team that that you rolled over on you never thought twice twice about Seton Hall and now here we are talking about them as a national championship contender and and you're absolutely right I mean they they have the starting five they have uh, a lot more depth than this Villanova team does right now I would say the most talented team in the Big East but Again, it's it's all one and done. The Big East tournament, the NCAA tournament, it's all one and done. You slip up one night. We've seen it from Seton Hall. We've, we've seen it from just about every single team in the country now with San Diego State going down. Every single team has had one slip up where you scratch your head and you say, how the heck did they lose that one? And it could be any one of those games in the NCAA tournament. And, uh, you know, Seton Hall's just going to have to find a way to, you know, continue to win. And, and their depth provides a lot of coverage for any type of scare like that. Yep. Every single team has slipped up. Every last one of them, except for one, Swarthmore. The Swarthmore College Garnet at the D3 level. The only undefeated team at any level of college basketball. What a segue from Kevin Long setting me up there. I'm so proud to be the voice of the Swarthmore College Garnet, and they host the Centennial Conference Tournament starting on Friday, 6 o'clock and 8 o'clock, right there in Delaware County, right down the road from us. So come on out and check it out. We'll have the link up on the website prior to the game. But, uh, yeah, everybody slipped up except for Swarthmore. So any division of basketball, the only unbeaten team left. Where were we? proud moment to be part of the garnet congratulations and uh looking forward to following your broadcast are you broadcasting that by you said you yes were? i am okay absolutely well, i can't wait to tune into that uh by the way cup see. sponsor ryan ansel basketball the assistant coach as well of the swathmore garnet so just the bloodlines run deep here absolutely absolutely we're very involved with the community here and uh you know the computer the community is invested in us as well so thank you ryan ansel congratulations looking forward to watching this tournament run this team uh, uh as you may have said looking to avenge their championship loss last year mm-hmm. uh national championship loss that national is. championship i should clarify yep. so Excited to see this team. They look like they have everything that it takes. Obviously have not slipped up yet in the regular season. And uh, they look like they have all the makings of a national championship team. And looking forward to following the run on Bob Long Sports. Yeah, I think they are 50-2 and two in their last 52 basketball games. Incredible. Is that good? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's pretty good. I haven't seen that very often. No. Maybe maybe back in the UConn women uh, basketball days when they were playing at that level. But, uh, that's a good point. That's the only comparison I can think of right now. But, yes, yeah, so that's what's going on across the college basketball landscape. We talk about that three-horse race, Seton Hall, 
Creighton and Villanova, the race for the regular season title, what should be an unbelievable Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden. I'm going to leave you with just two more thoughts on that Xavier game. One, we mentioned that Villanova didn't have their best game. But just nine turnovers, Colin Gillespie 0 for 6 from beyond the arc, doesn't matter. Six assists for him, very efficient from the floor from a distribution perspective. Six turnovers, I'm sorry, six assists, just the two turnovers. Jermaine Samuel, 7 for 10. We're going to talk about him shortly here on the V's and O's. And, uh, and so excited to, to see him with a healthier balance of two-point shots to three-point shots. Six for nine from two, one for one from three. So excited about that. And we mentioned as well how short the bench has gotten for Villanova, something to keep an eye on moving forward. Let's talk a little bit about the game tomorrow. St. John's comes in, 3-11 and in the Big East, 14-13 and overall, another team that had a pretty good start. You mentioned very early on a team that can catch fire, and I think you're right when you have two guys there, LJ Figueroa, Mustafa Haran. Unfortunately for Haran, a two-year player at Auburn, transfers to St. John's, had a pretty decent first year. Second year was going fine, 14 points per game. Injures an ankle, something that was injured earlier in the season in the non-conference. He looks like he's done for the season. And I think, unfortunately for Mike Anderson, you know, perhaps the team um, starting to struggle a little bit. Hung in tough against Xavier, but I just think it's so tough to come on the road to Villanova at the Finneran Pavilion and a team in Villanova that's starting to catch their stride and go win that basketball game with your best or second-best player no longer in the lineup. Yeah, it'll, it'll certainly be a tough one for St. John's, who's struggling as of late, and they find themselves in a similar position uh, where they're looking to play spoiler. Uh, you always get the feeling that St. John's is a, a scrappy team who is looking to come in the, into your building and, and take something that they feel is theirs, and you know that they're going to give you uh, – everything that they got this season has not gone the way that they planned uh coming into the big east season they had um some some high aspirations to make the tournament and um you know certainly try to make a run but now villanova is faced with the task of uh, matching up with them here in the regular season at the finneran pavilion i think similar to last week where uh villanova's playing one of those teams that is towards the bottom end of the Big East. They, they, I think they handle their business, but uh, they certainly need to come ready to play. You know, uh, if they somehow find themselves with two guys in foul trouble, and all of a sudden you got to put Cole Swider and Demir Cosby Roundtree on the floor, I think all bets are off, and and they really need to to watch out for themselves. So um, uh, overall, I think this is a, a you know a fairly easy win for Villanova, but you just you just never know. Last Finneran Pavilion game of the year. So if you haven't found yourself over there yet for one of the, uh, I guess, only eight contests that they've had there because seven will be played at the Wells Fargo Center by the time it's all said and done, find a way over. 6.30 tip. Get home nice and early. Watch the second uh, half of the evening slate. Should be a great time. And then on Saturday, 12 o'clock high noon, Providence comes to town. A team 16 and 12, but 9 and 6, alone in fourth in the Big East. Struggled in the non-conference, have been really good in the conference schedule. And this is a tough matchup. But what I'll say is, the dunk is a very difficult place to play. Uh, Providence had Villanova dead to rights at points during that game. Villanova continues to work hard, ended up winning that game in a tough building, with Diallo struggling mightily in that game the leading scorer, Alpha Diallo, for the Providence Friars. Winners of three straight took down Seton Hall, Georgetown, and Marquette. But again, very important to know, Georgetown was on the road. Great. Seton Hall, Marquette, both at the dunk. And I think that's the key here. I think Villanova wins this game against Marquette. Always a decent Providence showing at the Wells Fargo Center. They have a lot of alums that live here in Philadelphia. I know a few of them myself. And uh, I know they're going to be there loud and proud. But I think Villanova wins this basketball game. I think it's a solid 2-0 week for this team, and they build for the stretch run and a game against Seton Hall that could be to win the league outright. Yeah, I, I agree with you in that sense. I, I do think that Villanova wins this game against Providence, and I, I think that they do so comfortably. Uh, but to play devil's advocate here, this is a Providence team that has their backs up against the wall. They're 16-12. and 12. They didn't have – a great non-conference showing. They really needed to come show out here in Big East play, and 
I think that they have exceeded everybody's expectations up until this point, putting themselves into fourth place behind Butler, Villanova, Seton Hall. Or I'm sorry, not Butler, Creighton. Uh, but they they have exceeded expectations within the conference at 6-12. and 12. They, I would say, still have a chance to make this NCAA tournament if they have a near-flawless stretch run and at least make a run into the Big East semis. So this is an extremely important game for this Providence team. They have proven themselves to be uh, a good team against some of the other top teams in the Big East wins over Seton Hall and Marquette. And so this is another big win for them to say, I can beat Villanova. I can I can play with the big boys. And this is another prove-it game to come into the Wells Fargo Center and beat Villanova in Philadelphia. Sorry, was wondering what the heck was going on down there. Sorry, there's a water <laughs> bottle incident here. Gotcha. And, uh, it's a uh, little uh, narrow shelf here. Gotcha. All good. I made the play. Wonderful. Great play. Keeps it alive. Turns two. And with that said, we're going to head to the end of the inning and a commercial break here on the Villanova Basketball Report. He's Kevin Long. I'm Bob Long. And on the other side, we're going to talk about Jermaine Samuels, the star of the show in the V's and O's. We'll go to the whiteboard and break down his effort against Xavier and what he's doing so well, coming back from injury, putting himself in the right spot, limiting issues, highlighting the strengths. Excited to do it. We'll be right back. Again, the Villanova Basketball Report. Here on Bob Long Sports. Dunphy Ford is Mayfair's neighborhood Ford store. Nobody knows your neighborhood like Dunphy Ford. Nearly 40 years. Right here on Frankfurt Avenue. Generation after generation, our neighbors continue to be our customers. We have access to the cars and trucks you want with financing you need. Dunphy Ford is Northeast Philly's first choice for America's number one brand. 7700 Frankfurt Avenue in Mayfair. Online at www.dumpyford.com. Come experience the dopey difference. You'll be glad you did. In tonight's V's and O's segment, we're going to talk about Jermaine Samuels and a guy who I think is absolutely a key to this Villanova offense. And sometimes when he's playing great, this offense is cooking. Sometimes when he's not playing so well, he's an active deterrent to the progress of the offense. And yes, that's probably a blunt way to say it. But that's another way to say he's a really important facet of what's going on here. So let's talk about different ways that Jermaine Samuels receives the basketball. We're going to start with the good. We want Jermaine Samuels, if you're a Villanova fan, to catch the ball somewhere in here. And it could be deeper. It could be inside the lane here, being able to go right up without putting the ball on the floor. But I think right around here, just shy of the elbow, is a really effective place for him to catch the basketball. And why? Well, because he's not the strongest ball handler, but he can get to the basket. He's somewhat shifty. He's also a strong rebounder, can get his own. I think him in this area is very, very effective for this team. What we saw him do well against Xavier is the ability for one power dribble to get into the lane, body the defender, and finish. And he can actually finish with the right hand going to the right or with the right hand going to the left. And it's something where he's getting a little bit better trying to finish with the left, but he's a strong finisher with his right when he gets into this area right here. And that's really the magic area. Jermaine Samuels, not only for his ability to score, but his ability to run point essentially from right here, either drive to the basket, lob it over the top to a big down here, or switch the floor and create spacing in this four-out, one-in defense uh, offense. Excuse me for this Villanova team. So spacing here: one, two, three, two inside. You know, Jermaine might have been here cutting inside. Now the floor really opens up for this team, both from an attack in the basket and 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 tossing the ball around the perimeter. We saw Jermaine go seven for ten from the floor, six of nine from inside the arc, and a lot of it was getting things going, and a lot of it was one or less dribbles as he gets to the basket. I think two dribbles is fine, but anytime you're putting the ball on the floor, more than that, if you're Jermaine Samuels, it's a problem. Well, let's take a look at how he was catching the ball earlier in the year. Out here is not where Jermaine Samuels wants to catch the basketball. It's too far here from the three-point line to realistically take a shot. Even then, he's not the best three-point shooter that you'll see, but you do not want Jermaine putting the ball on the floor and then rising up for three. 
It's a recipe for a disaster. He has to be an overlap guy. Colin Gillespie dribbling the ball down the floor. Here's Samuels behind. A little flip back to Samuels. Rise up. No dribble. Just spot up three. We saw him hit a shot from about there against Kansas. Same type of play. Overlap. Colin Gillespie finds Samuels. He hit another three that way against Xavier. That's where he can be successful. But really, at the end of the day, this is talking about where he's catching the ball and does he have to put it on the turf. Because if he doesn't have to put the ball on the pavement, he's a very, very dangerous offensive player, which is something that I don't know that I would have found myself standing in this spot saying back in November. But here he is, and he's healthy again. He is a solid finisher inside, and he has the ability to catch and shoot from beyond the arc to make the extra pass, but not to run the offense. And frankly, he shouldn't be expected to coming out of the fall, small forward position. Villanova has been very uh, gifted in the past with guys like Eric Paschal that could run the offense from the four spot, right? Jermaine Samuels isn't that guy, and that's okay. Villanova fans, Villanova analysts like us have been spoiled over the years to see that. But what his role is, is catching the ball right in here. And what can he do? He can distribute. He can drive. He can also pull up from about there. And also he can attack the glass from out here. And that's the unsung part. Maybe it is sung. Who knows? Who's listening, right? Jermaine Samuels, though, rebounding the basketball is as good as it gets for his body type, for his size, for his height. He just knows where to be from that perspective. He can create some blocks as well. An athletic specimen, understanding a little bit better what his role is. Jermaine Samuels, a key in this starting lineup. And the more minutes he can play per game, the more effectively he can play, and the more offensively efficient that he can be, is going to determine how far Villanova basketball can go this year. So that's our V's and O's here tonight. Jermaine Samuels, a key offensively for this Villanova team. Keep your eye out for that. Where does he catch the ball? How many times does he put it on the pavement? And that'll give you a good proxy for his efficiency and how well he does from the floor. We'll be right back on the other side. Kevin will have some thoughts on this. We'll wrap things up with our Cats in the Wild and some predictions for this week and for the last few weeks of the college basketball season. Kind of amazing to say, but here we are coming down the stretch once again. And this time, 2019-2020 Villanova team gives us a lot to look forward to heading into March. We'll be right back. Dunphy Ford is Mayfair's neighborhood Ford store. Nobody knows your neighborhood like Dunphy Ford. Nearly 40 years. Right here on Frankfurt Avenue. Generation after generation, our neighbors continue to be our customers. We have access to the cars and trucks you want with financing you need. Dunphy Ford is Northeast Philly's first choice for America's number one brand. 7700 Frankfurt Avenue in Mayfair. Online at www.dumpyford.com. Come experience the Dumpy difference. You'll be glad you did. Hey, welcome back inside the Villanova Basketball Report. Bob Long, Kevin Long here. Kevin had some thoughts, I think, on the V's and O's before we get to our Cat in the Wild segment and some predictions to close this one down here tonight. Yes, I really like your analysis there, Bob. And when you were making the comparisons to Eric Pascal, really sort of clicked for me if you compare this team to maybe the 2018 team when they won a national championship what what was Eric Pascal's role he was maybe the fifth or uh, fourth or fifth scorer he was a guy who pulled up at times when he needed to but was strongest going to the basket he was never the guy controlling the ball I think more so in that case just out of a lack of necessity because you had guys like Jalen Brunson, Dante DiVincenzo, Phil Booth, who were able to handle those duties, Mikhail Bridges. So uh, that more so out of necessity because we saw last year at Eric Paschal more than capable of taking the ball up on his own. So in a lot of ways, these guys were very similar. And if you think back to last year with Jermaine, you got the sense that Jade said, hey, Jermaine, let's pump the brakes on taking the three. It's not going down for you right now I'd like to see you develop that game where you were able to drive to the basket it will get you a little bit more respect on the three-point line and it really has worked out for him people have had to play off a little bit respect that three-point shot that he has and it has opened it up a little bit for him which has really reminded me of Eric Paschal in years prior more like 2017 when he started he was in the same situation he came here guns blazing, ready to put him up every time. And Jay Wright said, hey, you're strongest when you're going to the basket. You're an ath 
athletic guy. You're a big guy. You can back these guys down. You can beat them off the dribble. And this is the same way that Jermaine has really opened himself up in his role. So I like the comparison to Eric Paschal. I think there are a lot of similarities between those two guys, and we're going to need a big impact from him down the stretch if this team wants to make a run. Yeah, the only thing I'd add to that, and it's not even adding, it's more just summarizing it all. He has gotten so much better this year. He has gotten so much better at running the offense, at not making mistakes, at not being a liability on the floor. Yeah, he sometimes still does make stupid mistakes with the basketball. But, man, is he a net positive now. And I, I know the analytics would have told you that he was before. Maybe he just makes it look a lot better and a lot less frustrating now than earlier in the year. And I just couldn't be more excited for him. Jay speaks so highly of him, how coachable he is, how much he learned, how much he wants to absorb like a sponge. And you got to love that. I mean, you can't, you can't do anything but love that. And the one thing he's always had is effort. Yes. You know, I, and I would say, in general, his defense was good. He had an issue of fouling too much, especially in his first couple of years. And if you look back to last year, there were three, four game stretches that he went without scoring a point where he maybe had a point. And so obviously has completely revamped his offensive game. He's been able to contribute on a lot of ways offensively uh, and just a market improvement for a guy that really didn't know what was going to end up with his career. I mean, you, you look at him and he was maybe marginally better than Brandon Slater was at this time last year. So, uh, you know, hats off to that guy for, for working hard and, and getting himself into a position where he can really contribute this year. Maybe a little bit better than Brandon Slater last year. Uh, maybe a little. He played, <laughs> well, but again, was that due to a lack of depth? I would I would argue that even yeah. last year's team had less depth than we do this year. So uh, maybe the opportunity for Jermaine to play last year was better than than Brandon this year because we have those five starters that, sure. that Jay really likes. But uh, in terms of where their game is and you know where the offensive game is, maybe. Jermaine was in a little bit better place, but he was in a really bad place confidence-wise in mm -hmm. his shot and in his offensive game in general. And he will go down as maybe not one of the most beloved Villanova Wildcats of all time, but certainly if you look on this team and the legacies that the guys will have, I guess it's so tough to say, right? All the freshmen aren't even playing yet. Eric Dixon hasn't set, set foot on the floor. Robinson Earl and more or less than a full season. And certainly Gillespie will be one of the all-time greats. If Sadiq Bey stays, he certainly will be. Or even if he leaves and has a great NBA career, it's you know amazing how revisionist history. Not that Lowry wasn't loved while he was here, but now since he's left and had a multi-multi-multi-all-star career, an NBA champion, how, things, uh, how history kind of writes itself, right? And how things were a little bit different. Uh, oh, he was, you know, unbelievable on that team, which he was, but he was probably the third or fourth best player on that team, just had the gift for the NBA. So maybe Sadiq becomes that if he has NBA success. All that around the world to say, Jermaine Samuels is going to leave this school as one of the favorites, if not the favorite, of this particular crop of guys. Mm -hmm. The fans just love him. Um, I'm coming around, certainly, more than coming around. It's just I'm happy to see him make improvements, and that's all, that's all you really want to see, right? Sports is about the journey mm -hmm. as much as it is the conclusion, and you love to see a guy like that figure it out and use the talents and athleticism that, that he was given, and he's done a tremendous job with it recently. Yeah, you want to see the improvement. You want to see the grit. You want to see the heart, and, uh, you know, that's, that's what – that's what Philadelphia fans are looking for all the time, and specifically in this case, Villanova fans. That's that's all that they can ask for. You know, we can't always ask to get the top recruit every single year, although it's getting better year after year as Villanova turns himself into a national power. Uh, but all you can ask for is a guy like Jermaine Samuels. Continue to work, continue to get yourself better, and continue to support the rest of your teammates, which he does an awesome job of. You know, there have certainly been guys over the past couple of years that came in with expectations of playing right away and being the guy. And, you know, you get the sense that Jermaine was never that guy. He was ready to put his time in. He always supported his teammates when he was on the bench. And now everyone's happy for him that he's getting this shot to play with this team. Good stuff. So that's the back end of the V's and O's segment. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Or if you just joined us at this point in the show, 
Go back and watch at some point after we go to the whiteboard and break down Jermaine Samuels, where he needs to catch the basketball to be successful, and, uh, and kind of break all of that down from a floor spacing perspective and an offensive efficiency perspective. I think you'll enjoy it. But next, we have our Cats in the Wild, our favorite segment here on the Villanova Basketball Report. Mm -hmm. So this week, Cat in the Wild, we have a guy that we just mentioned. Bob sort of segued us into that one, and that's Kyle Lowry. It's, it's been somewhat of a, a light week NBA-wise due to just coming off the All-Star break, but Kyle Lowry playing in that All-Star game had 13 points and 8 assists on the year. He's averaging 19 points and 8 assists coming off of the NBA championship Toronto Raptors. Uh, he's just been, I, I think he's probably had one of the best NBA careers of anybody in Villanova basketball history. A guy who's been to multiple all-star games has uh, you know, played himself into discussions of some of the best all-time Toronto Raptors and really has just uh, made himself into an NBA superstar. He always had that quick step. He was one of the best finishers, I would say, that we've seen at Villanova in terms yes. of a guard. Um, never really had that shot as a two-year guy at Villanova and really surprisingly developed that shot very well in the NBA um, and really has just had an amazing career in the NBA. It's, it's hard to believe that he's been out for as long as he's been. It was 2006 when he was drafted as I assume a 20 year old sophomore and now here we are 14 years later still talking about him 33 years old and uh, still playing at an extremely high level uh, still in the all-star game in a, a very very good Toronto Raptors team that uh, looks poised to maybe make a run this year not as strong without Kawhi Leonard but uh, an amazing career and, and one of the all-time greats in terms of NBA players that have come out of Villanova. Yeah, and dedicated the locker room, gave the money to have the locker room named after him. Inside the Davis Center, a great Villanova representation in the NBA and beyond. So that is a great cat in the wild, very timely. Two big charges in the All-Star game to essentially lock it up. For uh, for his team, which was fantastic. That's great. That's right. You love to see that uh, Villanova guys. Um, you don't see a whole lot of guys taking charges in the All Star break, but that's our Villanova guy. That's yeah, that, that was grit. Awesome. That's that heart. That's what we always want to see, and uh, we're, we're happy for him. He's had a, a heck of a career. All right. So the last thing uh, last thing I got is some predictions. So what do you got here? We got two, well, let's say two games here this week. Villanova, St. John's Province. What you got? Uh, as we talked about a little bit earlier, I think that they uh, roll in those games. I think they win both pretty handily, uh, feeling more confident about St. John's than I do Providence. But uh, I'm feeling pretty good about both of those games, and I think that Villanova continues to handle their business, and I think they keep shooting the ball well, more so like the DePaul game. All right, I agree with that. So now the big ones here. This weekend, I believe it's this weekend, if not this week. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's this Saturday. Creighton and Seton Hall. And then the other one I'm going to ask you about after that is Villanova traveling to Seton Hall. So Seton Hall could lock it up with those two wins, win the conference by at least two games a pop. Or they could lose twice, and then it could be down to Creighton and Villanova, and if either of those two teams drop another game, if they both beat Seton Hall, uh, to see if one team would win it outright. So what do you have in those two major contests coming up these two weeks? Boys, these are going to be great games, and it's a, it's a great couple of weeks to be a fan of the Big East. Uh, I think that Seton Hall handles their business when it comes right down to it. I think that they've been the more consistent team all year. Yes, Creighton is getting hot at the right moment, but I think that Seton Hall steps up when they need it the most, um, and, and I think that they assert themselves as the dominant team in the Big East. Uh, and then moving into the game against Villanova, uh, I think that Seton Hall takes care of their business there as well. Uh, again, I just think that they're too strong of a team. Uh, they're going to force Villanova into foul trouble. I, I believe that 
like I've said all year, they struggle to cover the superstar guy. You you put Sadiq Bey, who you figure is your best defensive player, on a guy like Marcus Howard, or in this case, Miles Powell, and I think he struggles. I think he gets into foul trouble, and then you see the struggles that having a lack of depth will provide, and, and you have to play guys like um, – you have to play Demir Cosby Roundtree, Cole Swider, and and I don't think that those guys are enough to pick up the slack. So, in summation, I think that Seton Hall picks up both of those wins and they end up as the Big East regular season champion. I actually think this gets interesting. So, actually, Villanova plays Seton Hall on that Wednesday the 4th and then plays on the road at Creighton on the last day of the regular season, March 7th. And this Saturday... They go to Marquette. This is Seton Hall now. So I actually think they lose those two road games and win the home game against Villanova. Tough-fought game. Mm -hmm. But I think Seton Hall loses to Marquette this weekend, which sets up at minimum, or they could lose to Villanova as well, but at minimum, because Creighton has St. John's and Georgetown in the meantime, at minimum a chance to win it outright, whoever wins that game. Creighton could win it outright, or Seton mm -hmm. Hall could lose two and then have to win that game to tie it. But also Villanova at that point could win it outright as well if Creighton were to lose to Seton Hall. So we'll have this exact same conversation next week with a lot more clarity around it. But watch out for Marquette playing at home. That's a tough team to beat on the road. And generally, the Big East has been a tough place to win on the road, especially near the top of the standings. Yeah, so are you saying that in that scenario, you, you're saying Creighton would win the Big East regular Outright. season? Outright. Very interesting. And and like you said, and we've mentioned it before on the show, Marquette, an extremely dangerous team. They haven't won enough games, enough of the games that they should win to put themselves in a position to win the Big East regular season crown. But again, like you said, any given day, they get hot any given week. Big East tournament easily day after day. A, easily a team that could win the Big East tournament easily very dangerous team and then they end up playing themselves into four maybe three seed at that point you figure if you win a very yeah. tough Big East they're just out of the top twenty five right now you would think mm -hmm. all of a sudden you, you got yourselves the making of a of a Sweet Sixteen you know pushing on maybe eventually a Final Four run at that point so it'll it'll be interesting to see how this plays out but. There are so many teams right now that have a shot. Uh, even look at Providence, the way they've been playing in the Big East. There are so many teams with the shot, which is going to make it a very interesting march. I tell you what, I love this conference. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about permutations over the years and where Syracuse and Pitt left and Louisville left and Cincinnati didn't have a home. And before that, Miami, Virginia Tech, Boston College. Um, you know, South Florida was a, a team that had to find somewhere else to play, but all these other football schools left. They joined and in 2013 launched the new Big East. Certainly there were some thoughts and certainly there were some struggles early on. Villanova in many ways held the baton high for this conference. But boy, right now, uh, there may be no more entertaining conference in college basketball on a night in, night out basis. Bias? Sure. But seeing good basketball and knowing it, when, knowing it when we see it, no doubt about it. This is a fantastic basketball conference. It's so much fun. Yeah, and, and you know, once the, the separation was made and, and the new conference was formed, you felt like this was a conference that was outside of, of your Power Five, your, your generally your powerhouse conferences. And, and now all of a sudden, I, I don't think you could make an argument to say that they're lower than – the third or fourth best conference in the country right now. I mean, they're certainly playing some stellar basketball. And you look back at the old Big East, the UConn and the Pitts, and now you Syracuse even even Syracuse. I I left them out just because they have made some runs recently that year that they snuck into the Final Four as a uh, tenty, but yeah. obviously not anywhere near where they are now. And sure. now you're looking at Seton Hall. We're talking about them as a national title contender you're talking about providence who is consistently finding themselves in the bubble picture some of these teams that you just never would have seen this coming i mean these these butler creighton xavier traditional mid-major programs mm -hmm. that now are 
Some powers. of the class of this conference and the country. Yes. Yeah. National powerhouses. And, and uh, it really just speaks volumes to how this Big East has evolved and and how this conference is coming along. And it's hard to explain. I, I can't really put my finger on what exactly it is that is making this college basketball conference so great in such a little amount of time. I mean, you know, just in 2013 and in those years following, it was – Villanova steamrolling everybody it was you know why is Villanova playing against these teams they need to play in a better conference and all of a sudden the talent around them has just risen up to the level of Villanova and uh, it really has brought some credibility to the conference and it, and it makes for exciting basketball last point here I think the coaching is a big part of it you see a lot of coaching carousels all across the country but Kevin Willard excellent top tier coach Ed Cooley excellent top tier coach St. John's has kind of struggled. I mean, they, they thought they were doing something with Mullen, and I do think Mike Anderson has a chance to be very successful. You know, you bring in Patrick Ewing. We'll see what that ends up doing for Georgetown, but no doubt Cachet behind that, Jay Wright, Greg McDermott. Lavelle Jordan is a rising star. Love that guy, what he's doing at Butler. Fantastic. Steve Wojciechowski, hopefully Marquette can keep him when – Coach K decides to hang it up, whether you know he would be considered for that job or not. But he's a tremendous coach. There are others that I'm missing. You know, well, Dave Lato has even done a nice, nice job at DePaul. Well, they haven't come back yet. But Xavier Kosha has just left for Louisville. Oh yes, yeah. You can't forget that either. Chris Mack, that was a tough one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, but but he has brought the credibility to the Big East Conference through his years of contribution to Xavier and right. You know, one of, one of those, uh, and that's going home for him that, that, you know, that, and I'm sure it was a money thing too, but that was also going home for him. And, you know, they're, they've been able, generally speaking with that exception, good point to keep these coaches Mm -hmm. in this conference with this television deal, which is probably, I'm sorry, not probably is lower than the big 10 way lower is lower than the ACC, way lower. And bear in mind that they're going to be negotiating that contract. They're beginning those discussions now. And that uh, 12-year contract will expire in 2025. So within the next 18 to 24 months, if not sooner, those discussions will commence. And the viewership they're getting this year, and if this continues, will help the Big East Conference significantly compared to if they had to negotiate this deal in the 2016-2017 time frame. Very healthy conference right now. Yeah, it certainly gives them a lot more leverage in those conversations, and it'll be interesting to see how that ends up expanding the conference and, and how that helps it to increase the talent level to even further lengths than, than it already has in the past 10 years. And we'll see there's a whole bunch of conferences that are coming up with on their maturity dates on those deals. And this is a discussion for another day, another podcast, but the role of digital rights and streaming and uh, does the Big East start its own network? Does it produce content and, and drive the feed to any of those individual networks? And they just pipe in the, the broadcasters on site. The PGA Tour is going to be doing that going forward. Those are conversations that will span well beyond this podcast, but I find extraordinarily interesting. So nothing to worry about right now, not worry at all, but I find it very interesting, and I'll be following along to see where the next manifestation of media rights, of broadcast rights, really takes us. And I think it's going to be a really fun place to go. Basketball in 10 years, I promise you, will look very dissimilar to what we see here today. There's a lot more innovation-wise. Cable is changing. The very nature of watching and streaming television is changing. So in addition to the product being good, which it needs to be, there will be a lot more considerations on the digital side that will affect what these contracts look like and what these broadcasts look like. So we can kind of leave it at that. But any other thoughts on Villanova as we head into the weekend? Uh, my only, my last parting thought is expect a very similar week to last week. You're playing a, uh, a couple of teams that you feel like you should beat again. Uh, if Villanova takes care of their business, they should hang around the same place that they are right now, set themselves up to potentially make a run at that big season, uh, big East regular season title next week. So looking forward to another great week of Villanova basketball and uh, excited to see the cats in action tomorrow night. Thank you, Kevin. Great to see you here as always. Great show. 
Lots to chew on, I think, after this one. Thanks to you, the viewer, who is either watching us on Twitter, on Facebook, or on YouTube as we upload that after the live show, or listening on SoundCloud. You can find us at Bob Long Sports in any one of those venues. Follow us on Twitter, as mentioned, at Bob Long Sports for all of our programming updates. And as mentioned, there is one undefeated team in all of college basketball, and the name is the Swarthmore College Garnet. And they're in the Centennial Conference Tournament this weekend, Friday and Saturday, on the Garnet Sports Network. We'll put that link up through BobLongSports.com. 6 and 8 p.m. tips on Friday, 7 p.m. on Saturday for the conference championship. Congrats to their team for an undefeated regular season. But, of course, the season really starts right now. So tune in for this and all of our Bob Long Sports programming anytime you can. And I'm Bob Long saying so long here from Bluebell. It's been a lot of fun, and we appreciate all the support. Have a great night, everybody, and enjoy the hoops.